Act Two of Henry the Eighth by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Henry the Eighth, Act Two, Scene One, Westminster, a street. Enter two gentlemen meeting. Whither away so fast? Oh, God save ye, even to the hall, to hear what shall become of the great Duke of Buckingham. I'll save you that labour, sir. All's now done but the ceremony of bringing back the prisoner. Were you there? Yes, indeed was I. Pray, speak, what has happened? You may guess quickly what? Is he found guilty? Yes, truly is he, and condemned upon it. I am sorry for it. So are a number more. But pray, how passed it? I'll tell you in a little. The great duke came to the bar, where to his accusations he pleaded still not guilty, and alleged many sharp reasons to defeat the law. The king's attorney, on the contrary, urged on the examinations, proofs, confessions of divers witnesses, which the duke desired to have brought viva voce to his face, at which appeared against him his surveyor, Sir Gilbert Peck his chancellor, and John Carr, confessor to him, with that devil monk Hopkins that made this mischief. That was he that fed him with his prophecies? The same. All these accused him strongly, which he fain would have flung from him, but indeed he could not. And so his peers, upon this evidence, have found him guilty of high treason. Much he spoke and learnedly for life, but all was either pitied in him or forgotten. After all this, how did he bear himself? When he was brought again to the bar, to hear his nail rung out as judgment, he was stirred with such an agony, his sweat extremely, and something spoke in choler, ill and hasty. But he fell to himself again, and sweetly and all the rest showed a most noble patience. I do not think he fears death. Sure he does not. He never was so womanish. The cause he may a little grieve at. Certainly the cardinal is the end of this. Tis likely by all conjectures. First Kildare's attainder, then deputy of Ireland, who removed Earl Surrey, was sent thither, and in haste too, lest he should help his father. That trick of state was a deep envious one. At his return, no doubt, he will requite it. This is noted, and generally, whoever the king favours, the cardinal instantly will find employment, and far from court, too. All the commons hate him perniciously, and, oh, my conscience, wish him ten fathom deep. This duke, as much they love and dote on, call him bounteous Buckingham, the mirror of all courtesy. Stay there, sir, and see the noble ruined man you speak of. Enter Buckingham from his arraignment, tipstaves before him the axe with the edge towards him, halberds on each side, accompanied with Lavelle, Vow, Sands, and common people. Let's stand close and behold him. O good people, you that thus far have come to pity me, hear what I say, and then go home and lose me. I have this day received a traitor's judgment, and by that name must die. Yet heaven bear witness, and if I have a conscience, let it sink me, even as the axe falls if I be not faithful. The law I bear no malice for my death. Tas done, upon the premises, but justice. But those that sought it I could wish more Christians. Be what they will, I heartily forgive em. Yet let em look, they glory not in mischief, nor build their evils on the graves of great men. For then my guiltless blood must cry against em. For further life in this world I ne'er hope. Nor will I sue, although the king have mercies more than I dare make faults. You few that love me, and dare be bold to weep for Buckingham. 
his noble friends and fellows, whom to leave is only bitter to him, only dying. Go with me, like good angels to my end. And, as the long divorce of steel falls on me, make of your prayers one sweet sacrifice, and lift my soul to heaven. Lead on, O God's name. I do beseech your grace for charity. If ever any malice in your heart were hid against me, now to forgive me frankly. Sir Thomas Lovell, as I free forgive you as I would be forgiven, I forgive all. There cannot be those numberless offences against me that I cannot take peace with. No black envy shall mark my grave. Commend me to his grace, and if he speak of Buckingham, pray, tell him you met him half in heaven. My vows and prayers yet are the king's, and, till my soul forsake, shall cry for blessings on him. May he live longer than I have time to tell his years. Ever beloved and loving may his rule be. And when old time shall lead him to his end, goodness and he fill up one monument. To the waterside I must conduct your grace, then give my charge up to Sir Nicholas Vaux, who undertakes you to your end. Prepare there. The Duke is coming. See the barge be ready, and fit him with such furniture as suits the greatness of his person. Nay, Sir Nicholas, let it alone. My state now will but mock me. When I came hither, I was Lord High Constable and Duke of Buckingham, now poor Edward Bohun. Yet I am richer than my base accusers, that never knew what truth meant. I now seal it, and with the blood that make em one day groan for it. My noble father, Henry of Buckingham, who first raised head against usurping Richard, flying for succour to his servant Bannister, being distressed, was by that wretch betrayed, and without trial fell. God's peace be with him. Henry the Seventh succeeding, truly pitying my father's loss, like a most royal prince, restored me to my honours, and, out of ruins, made my name once more noble. Now his son, Henry the Eighth, life, honour, name, and all that made me happy at one stroke has taken for ever from the world. I had my trial, and, must needs say, a noble one, which makes me a little happier than my wretched father. Yet thus far we are one in fortunes, both fell by our servants, by those men we loved most a most unnatural and faithless service. Heaven has an end in all, yet you that hear me, this from a dying man receive as certain, where you are liberal of your loves and counsels, be sure you be not loose, for those you would make friends and give your hearts to, when they once perceive the least rub in your fortunes, fall away like water from ye, never found again but where they mean to sink ye. All good people, pray for me, I must now forsake ye. The last hour of my long weary life is come upon me. Farewell, and when you would say something that is sad, speak how I fell. I have done, and God forgive me. Exunt Buckingham and Train. Oh, this is full of pity. Sir, it calls, I fear, too many curses on their beads that were the authors. If the Duke be guiltless, tis full of woe. Yet I can give you inkling of an ensuing evil. If it fall, greater than this. Good angels, keep it from us. What may it be? You do not doubt my faith, sir. This secret is so weighty, it will require a strong faith to conceal it. 
Let me have it. I do not talk much. I am confident you shall, sir. Did you not of late days hear a buzzing of a separation between the king and Catherine? Yes, but it held not. For when the king once heard it, out of anger he sent command to the Lord Mayor straight to stop the rumour, and allay those tongues that durst disperse it. But that slander, sir, is found a truth now, for it grows again fresher than e'er it was, and held for certain the king will venture at it. Either the cardinal, or some about him near, have, out of malice to the good queen, possessed him with a scruple that will undo her. To confirm this, too, Cardinal Campius has arrived, and lately, as all think for this business. Tis the cardinal, and merely to revenge him on the emperor for not bestowing on him, at his asking, the archbishopric of Toledo. This is purposed. I think you have hit the mark. But is not cruel that she should feel the smart of this? The cardinal will have his will, and she must fall. Tis woeful. We are too open here to argue this. Let's think in private more. Exeunt. Scene two. An antechamber in the palace. Enter Chamberlain, reading a letter. My lord, the horses your lordship sent for, with all the care I had, I saw well chosen, ridden, and furnished. They were young and handsome, and of the best breed in the north. When they were ready to set out for London, a man of my lord cardinal's, by commission and main power, took them from me. With this reason, his master would be served before a subject, if not before the king, which stopped our mouths, sir. I fear he will indeed. Well, let them have him. He will have all, I think. Enter to Chamberlain, Norfolk and Suffolk. Well met, my lord Chamberlain. Good day to both your graces. How is the king employed? I left him private, full of sad thoughts and troubles. What's the cause? It seems the marriage with his brother's wife has crept too near his conscience. No, his conscience has crept too near another lady. Tis so. This is the cardinal's doing. The king cardinal, that blind priest like the eldest son of fortune, turns what he list. The king will know him one day. Pray God he do. He'll never know himself else. How holily he works in all his business. And with what zeal! For now he has cracked the league between us and the emperor, the queen's great nephew. He dives into the king's soul, and there scatters dangers, doubts, ringing of the conscience, fears and despairs, and all these for his marriage. And out of all these to restore the king he counsels a divorce, a loss of her that, like a jewel, has hung twenty years about his neck, yet never lost her lustre of her that loves him with that excellence that angels love good men with, even of her that, when the greatest stroke of fortune falls, will bless the king, and is not this coarse pious? Heaven keep me from such counsel. Tis most true these news are everywhere. Every tongue speaks em, and every true heart weeps for it. All that dare look into these affairs see this main end, the French king's sister. Heaven will one day open the king's eyes that so long have slept upon this bold bad man. And free us from his slavery. We had need pray and heartily for our deliverance, or this imperious man will work us all from princes into page. All men's honours lie like one lump before him to be fashioned into what pitch he please. For me, my lords, I love him not, nor fear him. There's my creed. As I am made without him, so I'll stand, if the king please. 
His curses and his blessings touch me alike. Their breath I not believe in. I knew him, and I know him. So I leave him to him that made him proud, the Pope. Let's in, and with some other business put the king from these sad thoughts that work too much upon him. My lord, you'll bear us company? Excuse me. The king has sent me otherwhere. Besides, you'll find a most unfit time to disturb him. Health to your lordships. Thanks, my good lord Chamberlain. Exit Chamberlain, and King Henry the Eighth draws the curtain, and sits reading pensively. How sad he looks! Sure he is much afflicted. Who's there, eh? Pray God he be not angry. Who's there, I say? How dare you thrust yourselves into my private meditations? Who am I? Ah! A gracious king that pardons all offences, malice ne'er meant. Our breach of duty this way is business of estate in which we come to know your royal pleasure. Ye are too bold. Go to. I'll make ye know your times of business. Is this an hour for temporal affairs, huh? Enter Cardinal Wolsey and Cardinal Campeus with a commission. Who's there? My good lord cardinal. Oh, my Wolsey, the quiet of my wounded conscience. Thou art a cure fit for a king. To Cardinal Campeus. You're welcome, most learned reverend sir, into our kingdom. Use it and us. To Cardinal Wolsey. My good lord, have great care I be not found a talker. Sir, you cannot. I would your grace would give us but an hour of private conference. To Norfolk and Suffolk. We are busy. Go. Aside to Suffolk. This priest has no pride in him. Aside to Norfolk. Not to speak of. I would not be so sick, though, for his place. But this cannot continue. Aside to Suffolk. If it do, I'll venture one have at him. Aside to Norfolk. I another. Exeunt Norfolk and Suffolk. Your grace has given a precedent of wisdom above all princes in committing freely your scruple to the voice of Christendom. Who can be angry now? What envy reach you? The Spaniard, tied by blood and favour to her, must now confess, if they have any goodness, the trial just and noble. All the clerks, I mean the learned ones, in Christian kingdoms, have their free voices. Rome, the nurse of judgment, invited by your noble self, hath sent one general tongue unto us, this good man, this just and learned priest, Cardinal Campius, whom once more I present unto your highness. And once more in mine arms I bid him welcome, and thank the holy conclave for their loves. They have sent me such a man I would have wished for. Your grace must needs deserve all strangers' loves. You are so noble. To your highness' hand I tender my commission, by whose virtue the court of Rome commanding you, my lord cardinal of York, are joined with me, their servant, in the impartial judging of this business. Two equal men. The queen shall be acquainted forthwith for what you come. Where's Gardner? I know your majesty has always loved her so dear in heart, not to deny her that a woman of less place might ask by law. Scholars allowed freely to argue for her. Ay, and the best she shall have, 
and my favour to him that does best. God forbid else, Cardinal. Prithee, call Gardiner to me, my new secretary. I find him a fit fellow. Exit Cardinal Wolsey. Re-enter Cardinal Wolsey with Gardiner. Aside to Gardiner. Give me your hand, much joy and favour to you. You are the king's now. Aside to Cardinal Wolsey. But to be commanded for ever by your grace, whose hand has raised me. Come hither, Gardiner. Walks and whispers. My lord of York, was not one Dr. Pace in this man's place before him? Yes, he was. Was he not held a learned man? Yes, surely. Believe me, there's an ill opinion spread then, even of yourself, Lord Cardinal. How, of me? They will not stick to say you envied him, and fearing he would rise. He was so virtuous, kept him a foreign man still, which so grieved him that he ran mad and died. Heaven's peace be with him. That's Christian care enough. For living murmurers there's places of rebuke. He was a fool, for he would needs be virtuous. That good fellow, if I command him, follows my appointment. I will have none so near else. Learn this, brother, we live not to be griped by meaner persons. Deliver this with modesty to the queen. Exit Gardiner. The most convenient place I can think of for such a receipt of learning is Blackfriars. There you shall meet about this weighty business. My Woolsey, see it furnished. Oh, my lord, would it not grieve an able man to live so sweet a bedfellow? But conscience, conscience, oh, tis but a tender place, and I must leave her. Exeunt. Scene three. An antechamber of the queen's apartments. Enter Anne and an old lady. Not for that neither. Here's the pang that pinches. His highness having lived so long with her, and she so good a lady that no tongue could ever pronounce dishonour of her, by my life she never knew harm-doing. Oh, now, after so many courses of the sun enthroned, still growing in a majesty and pomp, the which to leave a thousandfold more bitter than tis sweet at first to acquire, after this process to give her the avaunt, it is a pity would move a monster. Hearts of most hard temper melt and lament for her. Oh, God's will! Much better she ne'er had known pomp. Though it be temporal, yet, if that quarrel fortune do divorce it from the bearer, tis a sufferance panging as soul and body severing. Alas, poor lady! She's a stranger now again. So much the more must pity drop upon her. Verily I swear tis better to be lowly born, and range with humble livers in content, than to be perked up in a glistering grief and wear a golden sorrow. Our content is our best having. By my troth and maidenhead I would not be a queen. Beshrew me I would, and venture maidenhead for it, and so would you, for all this spice of your hypocrisy. You that have so fair parts of woman on you, have too a woman's heart, which ere yet affected eminence, wealth, sovereignty, which to say sooth are blessings, and which gifts, saving your mincing, the capacity of your soft chevrel's conscience would receive, if you might please to stretch it. Nay, good troth. Yes, troth and troth. You would not be a queen? No, not for all the riches under heaven. Tis strange. 
A threepence boat would hire me, old as I am, to queen it. But I pray you, what think you of the Duchess? Have you limbs to bear that load of title? No, in truth. Then you are weakly made. Pluck off a little. I would not be a young count in your way, for more than blushing comes to if your back cannot vouchsafe this burden. Tis too weak ever to get a boy. How you do talk! I swear again I would not be a queen for all the world. In faith, for little England, you'll venture an embalming. I myself would for Carnarvonshire, although there longed no more to the crown but that. Lo, who comes here? Enter Chamberlain. Good morrow, ladies. What were it worth to know the secret of your conference? My good lord, not your demand. It values not your asking. Our mistress sorrows we were pitying. It was a gentle business, and becoming the action of good women. There is hope. All will be well. Now I pray God, amen. You bear a gentle mind, and heavenly blessings follow such creatures. That you may, fair lady, perceive I speak sincerely, and high notes ta'en of your many virtues. The king's majesty commends his good opinion of you, and does propose honour to you no less flowing than Marchioness of Pembroke, to which title a thousand pound a year annual support, out of his grace, he adds. I do not know what kind of my obedience I should tender. More than my all is nothing, nor my prayers are not words duly hallowed, nor my wishes more worth than empty vanities. Yet prayers and wishes are all I can return. Beseech your lordship, vouchsafe to speak my thanks and my obedience, as from a blushing handmaid to his highness, whose health and royalty I pray for. Lady, I shall not fail to approve the fair conceit the king hath of you. Aside. I have perused her well. Beauty and honour in her are so mingled that they have caught the king. And who knows yet but from this lady may proceed a gem to lighten all this isle. I'll to the king, and say I spoke with you. Exit Chamberlain. My honoured lord. Why, this is it! See? See? I have been begging sixteen years in court, and yet a courtier beggardly, nor could come pat betwixt too early and too late for any suit of pounds, and you, O oh fate, a very fresh fish here, fie, fie, fie upon, this compelled fortune, have your mouth filled up before you open it. This is strange to me. How tastes it? Is it bitter? Forty pence? No. There was a lady once, tis an old story, that would not be a queen, that would she not, for all the mud in Egypt. Have you heard it? Come, you are pleasant. With your theme I could o'ermount the lark. The Matroness of Pembroke, a thousand pounds a year for pure respect, no other obligation but my life that promises mo thousands, honour's train is longer than his foreskirt. By this time I know your back will bear a duchess. Say, are you not stronger than you were? Good lady, make yourself mirth with your particular fancy, and leave me out on't. Would I had no being if this salute my blood a jot. It faints me to think what follows. The queen is comfortless, and we forgetful in our long absence. Pray do not deliver what here you've heard to her. What do you think me? Exeunt. Scene four. A hall in black friars. Trumpets, senate, and cornets. Enter two vergers with short silver wands. Next them two scribes in the habit of doctors. After them Canterbury alone. After him... Lincoln, Eli, Rochester, and St. Asaph, 
Next them, with some small distance, follows a gentleman bearing the purse with the great seal, and a cardinal's hat. Then two priests, bearing each a silver cross. Then a gentleman usher, bareheaded, accompanied with a sergeant-at-arms, bearing a silver mace. Then two gentlemen, bearing two great silver pillars. After them, side by side, Cardinal Wolsey and Cardinal Compeius. Two noblemen with the sword and mace. King Henry the Eighth takes place under the cloth of state. Cardinal Wolsey and Cardinal Compeius sit under him as judges. Queen Catherine takes place some distance from King Henry the Eighth. The bishops place themselves on each side the court, in manner of a consistory. Below them, the scribes. The lords sit next the bishops. The rest of the attendants stand in convenient order about the stage. Whilst our commission from Rome is read, let silence be commanded. What's the need? It hath already publicly been read, and on all sides the authority allowed. You may then spare that time. Be it so. Proceed. Say Henry, King of England, come into the court. Henry, King of England, come into the court. Here. Say Catherine, Queen of England, come into the court. Catherine, Queen of England, come into the court. Queen Catherine makes no answer, rises out of her chair, goes about the court, comes to King Henry the Eighth, and kneels at his feet, then speaks. Sir, I desire you do me right and justice, and to bestow your pity on me, for I am a most poor woman, and a stranger, born out of your dominions, having here no judge indifferent, nor no more assurance of equal friendship and proceeding. Alas, sir, in what have I offended you? What cause hath my behaviour given to your displeasure, that thus you should proceed to put me off and take your good grace from me? Heaven witness I have been to you a true and humble wife, at all times to your will conformable, ever in fear to kindle your dislike, yea, a subject to your countenance, glad or sorry as I saw it inclined. When was the hour I ever contradicted your desire, or made it not mine too? Or which of your friends have I not strove to love, although I knew he were mine enemy? What friend of mine that had to him derived your anger did I continue in my liking? nay gave notice he was from thence discharged sir call to mind that i have been your wife in this obedience upward of twenty years and have been blessed with many children by you if in the course and process of this time you can report and prove it too against mine honour aught my bond to wedlock or my love and duty against your sacred person in God's name turn me away, and let the false contempt shut door upon me, and so give me up to the sharpest kind of justice. Please you, sir, the king your father was reputed for a prince most prudent, of an excellent and unmatched wit and judgment. Ferdinand, my father, king of Spain, was reckoned one the wisest prince that there had reigned by many a year before. It is not to be questioned that they had gathered a wise counsel to them of every realm that did debate this business, who deemed our marriage lawful. 
Wherefore I humbly beseech you, sir, to spare me, till I may be by my friends in Spain advised, whose counsel I will implore. If not, in the name of God, your pleasure be fulfilled. You have here, lady, and of your choice, these reverend fathers, men of singular integrity and learning, yea, the elect of the land, who are assembled to plead your cause. It shall be therefore bootless that longer you desire the court, as well for your own quiet as to rectify what is unsettled in the king. His great has spoken well and justly. Therefore, madam, it's fit this royal session do proceed, and that without delay their arguments be now produced and heard. Lord Cardinal, to you I speak. Your pleasure, madam? Sir, I am about to weep, but thinking that we are a queen, or long have dreamed so, certain the daughter of a king, my drops of tears I'll turn to sparks of fire. Be patient yet. I will when you are humble, nay before, or God will punish me. I do believe, induced by potent circumstances, that you are mine enemy, and make my challenge, you shall not be my judge. For it is you have blown this call betwixt my lord and me, which gods do quench. Therefore I say again, I utterly abhor, yea, from my soul, refuse you for my judge, whom yet once more I hold my most malicious foe, and think not at all a friend to truth. I do profess you speak not like yourself, who ever yet have stood to charity, and displayed the effects of disposition gentle, and of wisdom overtopping woman's power. Madam, you do me wrong. I have no spleen against you, nor injustice for you, or any. How far I have proceeded, or how far further shall, is warranted by a commission from the consistory yea the whole consistory of rome you charge me that i have blown this coal i do deny it the king is present if it be known to him that i gainsay my deed how may he wound and worthily my falsehood yea as much as you have done my truth if he knows that i am free of your report he knows i am not of your wrong therefore in him it lies to cure me and the cure is to remove these thoughts from you the which before his highness shall speak in i do beseech you gracious madam to unthink your speaking and to say so no more my lord my lord i am a simple woman much too weak to oppose your cunning your meek and humble mouthed you sign your place and calling in full seeming with meekness and humility but your heart is crammed with arrogance, spleen, and pride. You have by fortune and his highness' favours gone slightly or low steps, and now are mounted where powers are your retainers, and your words, domestics too, you serve your will, as please yourself, pronounce their office. I must tell you, you tender more your person's honour than your high profession spiritual that again i do refuse you for my judge and here before you all appeal unto the pope to bring my whole cause for his holiness and to be judged by him 
she curtsies to King Henry the Eighth and offers to depart. The queen is obstinate, stubborn to justice, apt to accuse it, and disdainful to be tried by it. Tis not well. She's going away. Call her again. Catherine, Queen of England, come into the court. Madam, you are called back. What need you note it? Pray you keep your way. When you are called, return. Now the Lord help they vex me past my patience. Pray you pass on. I will not tarry. No, nor ever more upon this business my appearance make in any of their courts. Exeunt Queen Catherine and her attendants. Go thy ways, Kate. That man in the world who shall report he has a better wife, let him in naught be trusted for speaking false in that. Thou art alone, if thy rare qualities, sweet gentleness, thy meekness saint-like, wife-like government, a being in commanding, and thy part sovereign and pious else, could speak thee out, the queen of earthly queens. She's noble-born, and like her true nobility, she has carried herself towards me. Most gracious sir, in humblest manner I require your highness that it shall please you to declare in hearing of all these ears, for where I am robbed and bound there must I be unloosed, although not there at once and fully satisfied. Whether ever I did broach this business to your highness, or laid any scruple in your way which might induce you to the question on it, or ever have to you but with thanks to God for such a royal lady, spake one the least word that might be to the prejudice of her present state or touch of her good person my lord cardinal i do excuse you yea upon mine honour i free you from it you are not to be taught that you have many enemies that know not why they are so but like the village curs bark when their fellows do by some of these the queen is put in anger you're excused but will you be more justified you ever have wished the sleeping of this business, never desired it to be stirred, but oft have hindered, oft the passage is made toward it. On my honour, I speak, my good lord cardinal, to this point, and thus far clear him. Now what moved me to it, I will be bold with time, and your attention. Then mark the inducement. Thus it came, give heed to it. My conscience first received the tenderness, scruple, and prick, on certain speeches uttered by the Bishop of Bayonne, then French ambassador, who had been hither sent on the debating a marriage twixt the Duke of Orleans and our daughter Mary, ere the progress of this business, ere a determinate resolution, he, I mean the Bishop, did require a respite, wherein he might the King his Lord advertise whether our daughter were legitimate, respecting this our marriage with the Dowager, sometimes our brother's wife. This respite shook the bosom of my conscience, entered me, yea, with a splitting power, and made to tremble the region of my breast, which forced such way that many maze considerings did throng and pressed in with this caution. First, methought I stood not in the smile of heaven, who had commanded nature that my lady's womb, if it conceived a male child by me, should do no more office of life to it than the grave does to the dead for her male issue or died where they had been made, or shortly after this world had aired them. Hence I took a thought, this was a judgment on me, that my kingdom, 
well worthy the best heir of the world should not be gladded in by me then follows that i weighed the danger in which my realm stood in by this my issues fail and that gave to me many a groaning throw thus hulling in the wild sea of my conscience i did steer toward this remedy whereupon we are now present here together that's to say i meant to rectify my conscience which i then did feel full sick and yet not well by all the reverend fathers of the land and doctors learned first i began in private with you my lord of lincoln you remember how under my oppression i did reek when i first moved you very well my liege i have spoke long be pleased yourself to say how far you satisfied me so please your highness the question did at first so stagger me bearing a state of mighty moment in it and consequence of dread that i committed the daringst counsel which i had to doubt and did entreat your highness to this course which you are running here i then moved you my lord of canterbury and got your leave to make this present summons unsolicited i left no reverend person in this court but by particular consent proceeded under your hands and seals therefore go on for no dislike of the world against the person of the good queen but the sharp thorny points of my alleged reasons drive this forward prove but our marriage lawful by my life and kingly dignity we are contented to wear our mortal state to come with her catherine our queen before the primest creature that's paragoned of the world so please your highness the queen being absent tis a needful fitness that we adjourn this court till further day meanwhile must be an earnest motion made to the queen to call back her appeal she intends unto his holiness aside i may perceive these cardinals trifle with me i abhor this dilatory sloth and tricks of rome my learned and well-beloved servant cranmer prithee return with thy approach i know my comfort comes along break up the court i say set on Exunt in manner as they entered. End of Act Two